Greetings, Progateers, and welcome to Is This Prog, an all-new podcast series from the creative minds behind Desert Island Dicks, Keep Talking, and The Revelation Station. In each episode, I'll be listening to a different album and asking the question, Is This Prog? Welcome back to Is This Prog with me, Mr. Monday. In the last episode, we listened to one of the pioneers of the album format, Led Zeppelin. By the time they'd split up, the 1980s had come around and the single began to once again dominate the music scene. A huge number of new wave artists popped up and a whole host of classic songs hit the airwaves. One of those bands was Talk Talk. Talk Talk formed in 1981 by Mark Hollis, Lee Harris and Paul Webb. Mark had been a member of the band The Reaction, along with his brother Ed, and they released a single, I Can't Resist, in 1978. After recording another song, an early version of Talk Talk, Mark decided to split the band to focus on his own songs and songwriting. He was subsequently introduced to Lee and Paul in 1981, and, along with keyboard player Simon Brenner, they formed the lineup of Talk Talk that would record their self-titled debut album. They released the album in July 1982 and had their first UK Top 40 hit with the song Today, which reached number 14. In their early days, they were often compared to Duran Duran, who they supported on tour in 1982, although this seems largely due to the repeated words in both bands' names. In fact, they adopted a much darker synth-pop style of music on their early albums, which was more reminiscent of Depeche Mode. In 1983, they released a non-album single, My Foolish Friend, after which Simon Brenner left the band. He wasn't replaced, although Tim Freeze Green was recruited as an unofficial member to assist with the recording of second album, It's My Life. Despite some international success, the album was not a hit in the UK, and the singles failed to crack the top 40. The title track subsequently became a hit after being re-released in 1991, and it also had a notable, if terrible, cover version by No Doubt. Commercial success was eluding the band, but that would all change with their third album, The Colour of Spring, released in February 1986. They all but ditched the synth-pop sounds of their first two LPs and moved towards some more organic sounds and instrumentation. In hindsight, this was a transitional album between their pop sound and something else, which we'll explore shortly. It reached number 8 in the UK charts and featured the hit single Life's What You Make It, which hit number 16. It was a big enough success that record label EMI gave them carte blanche to do whatever they liked for their next record. The band have some real prog rock connections as well. They supported Genesis in 1982 at their Six of the Best concert in Milton Keynes, which saw Peter Gabriel join the band. And speaking of Peter Gabriel, they also worked quite extensively with David Rhodes, who toured with them. Uh, And David Rhodes, of course, is Peter Gabriel's right-hand guitar man, still playing with him today. They would release two more albums, Spirit of Eden in 1988 and Laughingstock in 1991, both of which were something of a departure in sound. Because of the complexity of the music on those albums, they announced that they wouldn't be playing live, and their last concert was at Hammersmith Odeon on May 8th, 1986, released as the live album London 1986. 
Incidentally, that's one of the best live albums of all time, in my opinion, and a great introduction to the band, if you can find a copy. Last one I saw was retailing for over £100. Talk Talk eventually disbanded in 1991 after the release of Laughing Stock, with several side bands formed, including a collaboration between Beth Gibbons of Portishead and Paul Webb called Rustin Man. Very good album if you can get a copy. Mark Hollis released a self-titled solo album in 1998, which was very much a continuation of the sounds found on Spirit of Eden and Laughingstock, before announcing his retirement from music. Mark Hollis passed away due to cancer on February 25th, 2019. He was just 64 years old. As I mentioned, in 1986 the band had scored their biggest hit album with Colour of Spring, and as a consequence their record label EMI gave them a very much increased budget and complete control over the direction the album would take. From the very start, Mark Hollis made it clear to EMI that there would be no single release from the album and that they wouldn't get to preview the work until it was completed. In anticipation of another huge hit album, EMI readily agreed, something they would perhaps come to regret. The band gathered at Wessex Studios in London, opened in 1966, and best known as the studio where King Crimson recorded their first three albums, as well as it being the location of the infamous meeting between Freddie Mercury and Sid Vicious in 1977. Ten years later, Talk Talk would add to the mythos with a highly unusual recording process. For starters, Mark and producer Tim Freeze-Green insisted on recording in the dark, with only an oil projector and strobe lighting to illuminate the studio. A whole host of guest musicians were brought into the blacked-out room and told to play whatever they wanted to the basic tracks. With hours of tapes to sift through, Mark and Tim were able to cut and paste the best takes together, sometimes using only a few notes or seconds of each performance. And they made the songs exactly the way they wanted them. Now this is not too far away from the approach of a band such as Marillion, who record jam sessions and pick out the parts they think are worth working on. Even rappers De La Soul recorded an album in a similar fashion with their 2016 album De La Soul and the Anonymous Nobody, for which they recorded hours of musicians jamming and then cut parts together like samples. All of this resulted in an album of improvisation that Mark Hollis admitted couldn't be reproduced live. To the dismay of EMI, the band would refuse to tour to promote the album. EMI requested changes to the album, including adding in potential singles, but Mark Hollis refused. Although they did release an edited version of the track I Believe In You, without the band's consent. It didn't crack the top 40 in the UK, or anywhere else for that matter. Eventually, EMI capitulated, and the album was finally released in September 1988 reaching number 19 in the UK and eventually going on to sell 500,000 copies worldwide by 2019. It was not a commercial success by any stretch of the imagination, but EMI still wanted to extend the band's contract. The band themselves were not so keen, and a bitter contract dispute began over whether or not EMI had exercised their option in time. After an initial ruling in EMI's favour, the Court of Appeal found in favour of the band, and they were released from their contract signing to Polydor in 1989. By 1988, prog rock was again dying. It had become hugely unfashionable, again, and largely ignored by the music press and the radio. Established acts like Genesis, Marillion and Yes were either on hiatus or on tour, which left only those bands who were up and coming, or those bands who didn't yet know they were already dead. 
So alongside three releases by Frank Zappa, you've got a classical guitar album from Steve Hackett, Momentum, and an alternative threesome in uh, Three, featuring Keith Emerson, Carl Palmer, and replacing Greg Lake, Robert Berry. Peter Hammer released his 16th solo record in a foreign town in November alongside Pink Floyd's live album Delicate Sound of Thunder, another one of the best live albums ever. We got debut releases from King's X or King's Cross, whatever you however, Out of the Silent Planet, Devil Doll, The Girl Who Was Death, Marty Friedman, Dragon's Kiss, not to be confused with the comedian Marty Feldman, and The Cardiacs, A Little Man and a House and the Whole World Window. Osric Tentacles, Pendragon, Voivod and Queensreich also released new albums in 1988, but in all honesty there was nothing to set the world alight. It'd be a few more years until another wave of new prog bands began to emerge, and longer still until it crawled its way back to the mainstream. So before we light our freedom up, let's remind ourselves of my rules of prog. One. Do the songs contain meaningful lyrics, perhaps in the form of a story? 2. Has the artist created music which is complex or experimental? 3. Does the album contain songs which are over 5 minutes in length? 4. Has the artist used new technology or techniques to enhance the listening experience? assume that Spirit of Eden was a massive change in style for Talk Talk. In reality, their previous release, Colour of Spring, had played around with looser, jazzy sounds and unusual time signatures, but it still stuck with clearly defined song structures. 
Indeed, Life's What You Make It is one of their best-known songs, so they were yet to fully embrace the freeform at that point. It was on The Colour of Spring that they first used the techniques that they'd refined for Spirit of Eden, using a host of guest musicians to augment the sound of the core band. When it came to Spirit of Eden, they ramped that up to recording hours of jam sessions and editing the best bits together, sometimes only a few seconds. In that respect alone, the album ticks off Rule 4 immediately. Its very existence rests entirely on the band, adopting new techniques and sounds to make the songs. What's more, all of the songs fulfil the criteria of Rule 2 and throw out the rules of pop song structure. The whole album is complex and experimental, so I won't necessarily be breaking it down for each individual track. But let's continue. From the opening muted trumpet on the rainbow, the album throws off the shackles of traditional rock or pop. Acoustic instruments, piano, bass, strings are layered up until they weave a delicate tapestry punctuated by bursts of unsettling percussion and Mark Hollis's hauntingly introspective vocals. The progressive tag often implies instrumental indulgence, but Spirit of Eden does it differently. Its progressions are subtle, unfolding through shifts in mood and texture. The following track, Eden, exemplifies this. With its ebbs and flows like a tide, it builds tension with minimalist piano figures and sparse percussion before crashing into moments of distorted guitars and frantic drumming. This isn't self-indulgent noodling. It's a carefully crafted emotional arc, each note meticulously placed to evoke a specific feeling. track Desire is a slow burning song built on layers of atmosphere. Subtle percussion and ethereal pads create a hypnotic soundscape punctuated by bursts of distorted guitar and yearning vocals. The track meanders and evolves organically defying traditional song structure and showcasing the band's improvisational spirit. 
The lack of a defined structure reflects the album's focus on atmosphere and emotional exploration over traditional song form. we have what would have been side one of the vinyl release. That's three songs, each around seven minutes, which the original CD version of the album combined into one 23-minute epic, and as we've established before, doesn't get any more prog than a song that takes up one side of a record. Yeah. 
side two opens with a plaintive oboe or clarinet. Mark Hollis's vocals creating a delicate balance between beauty and unease. The acoustic guitars and strings weave a melancholic tapestry while the subtle electronic textures hint at the band's earlier pop sensibilities, reinterpreted in a progressive light. The track builds subtly, incorporating saxophone and strings, culminating in a poignant and emotional climax. While lacking the technical complexity of classical prog, the track's emotional depth and unconventional structure mark it as progressive in its own right. This is the closest you could get to a traditional talk talk song. single to be released from the album was I Believe In You, an anti-heroine song. It's probably the closest the album comes to traditional song structure, with a stripped-down arrangement featuring acoustic guitar and piano which emphasises the beauty of the vocals and the sincerity of the lyrics. Yet the track avoids sentimentality, maintaining a subtle tension and emotional ambiguity. A deceptively simple song that reveals its depth with repeated listens, showcasing TalkTalk's ability to imbue minimalism with profound meaning. Take my f- 
Final track, Wealth, is a haunting and atmospheric conclusion, with again sparse instrumentation including harp and oboe, which creates a sense of otherworldliness. Hollis's vocals whisper cryptic lyrics about spirituality and mortality, and the track fades out on a melancholic note, leaving the listener with a sense of unresolved emotions and lingering questions. A fittingly ambiguous ending to a groundbreaking album, refusing to offer easy answers and inviting contemplation. I love this album. For me, this epitomises everything about prog rock music. Not just the music, because you could argue that that is jazz or freeform or ambient. Just the fact that they've taken a new approach, completely thrown out everything they've done before and done whatever they wanted, changed completely. This is the very essence of prog for me. You notice that I haven't mentioned the length of the tracks, and that's because each one is over five minutes, so it automatically fulfills rule three. And if you've listened to the album, then I'm sure you'll agree it's not quite like anything else the band had recorded before. But Spirit of Eden's progressiveness extends beyond its musical structure. The album's very essence embodies the spirit of progressive rock. Ditching the synth-heavy pop of their previous work, Talk Talk embrace a stark, minimal sound. Gone are the catchy hooks and the radio-friendly melodies, replaced instead with hushed whispers, ethereal textures, and a focus on space and silence. Long instrumental sections, unconventional song structures, and Mark Hollis's haunting vocals create an immersive experience challenging the listener's expectations. This introspective approach is unheard of in mainstream rock, yet it feels so natural here, a testament to Talk Talk's willingness to break down barriers. The album's brilliance lies in its refusal to be confined by genre. While elements of jazz, ambient and blues weave through the fabric, the overall effect transcends characterization. Similar to prog albums like In the Court of the Crimson King, Spirit of Eden draws inspiration from various sources, creating a unique and cohesive whole. The extended instrumental sections, reminiscent of prog epics, allow for exploration and development, showcasing the band's instrumental prowess and improvisational skills. While its commercial success was limited, Spirit of Eden's influence on future generations is undeniable. Bands like Radiohead, Sigur Ross, and Godspeed You Black Emperor all carry its DNA, weaving ambient textures and emotional depth into their rock music. So next time you listen to Spirit of Eden, don't just see it as ambient beauty, recognise it as a progressive masterpiece that dares to defy convention and redefines what rock music could be. My verdict? Undoubtedly prog. Agree? Disagree? Why not let me know? at revelationstationpodcast at gmail.com. You can also send me some suggestions for other albums to cover. Thanks to everyone who sent me messages and suggestions so far. Keep them coming. I'm planning on using those in the next run of episodes. In the meantime, thanks for listening. And join me in the next episode when I'll be coming closer to the present day with Preacher's Daughter by Ethel Kane. Thank you for listening to Is This Prog from the Revelation Station. Presented, written and produced by Simon Helder. All music is copyright the respective artists. If you've enjoyed it, please consider buying or streaming.
Send your album or rule suggestions, or just your thoughts on the episode, to revelationstationpodcast at gmail.com. You can support this podcast by subscribing on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash revelationstationpodcast, or for a less long-term commitment, you can donate the price of a coffee by heading to buymeacoffee.com and searching for The Revelation Station. This has been a Revelation Station production. Was that Mr. Monday? Oh, yes. You two were in prison together, were you not? I... I saw him around. <laughs>